It's great to welcome you, but I have to start with an apology. So I was speaking to Richard during this week, and he said, last Sunday before Christmas, what carols are we having? And my heart sank, because I've only got one. Only one carol the last Sunday before Christmas. In my defense, the carol service is tonight, and I didn't want to take any of the A-list carols. And Richard had all the B-listers last week. (laughs) So... That's my first. My second defense is actually in our service this morning, we're moving a few days after the birth of Jesus. So that changes things a little bit. So we are in our opening worship going to think about, if you like, the earthiness of Jesus, this little baby who was growing up. So our first song is Jesus, the Savior of God, Christ, Son of Man, fed by the word of the Lord and raised in the land. So that's our first song. Thank you. A light that shone into darkness, a light that shines into our hearts, bringing truth and grace. Lord, at this special time of year, help us to keep that truth and that grace at the forefront of our minds, Lord, knowing that it lights our path every day of the year. Be with us, we pray, in this service, and help us to open our hearts to you and to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, so far in our Advent series, we've considered three different people or groups of people who've played a significant role in the, in the story of the birth of Jesus. We thought about the shepherds who acted together and went together to see Jesus and continued to share that experience, one with each other, in that fellowship that they had. We thought about Joseph, who, though he's a man of very few words, in scripture, showed his dedication to Jesus in the way that he acted. And those magi who sacrificed a huge chunk of their lives to set out on a journey they didn't really know where it was going to end to go and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of them so different, but each of them took Jesus seriously and changed their lives accordingly. So who are we going to look at this morning? Well, before we do uh, look at the characters we're going to look at this morning, and whilst we've got the the younger element with us today, I wanted to celebrate something which I think is really special about church life, something which in today's society is quite unique, and that is the fact that we have literally all the age ranges together here this morning from the youngest, the babies, to the oldest, without mention. I'm not defining old. But isn't it amazing that we're all here together, worshipping together, celebrating together, eating together later on as one big family? That's quite a unique thing in today's society, and it's something that's very special. Now, when we had the youth church celebration in the summer, it was called Forever Young, and we celebrated all the things that youth brings to the church But now I want to think about forever old and to celebrate all the things that the older generation brings to the church. Now, what do you think are the things that the older generation specifically can bring to us? Grey hair. Thank you, (laughs) Joe. I'm glad you said it, (laughs) Joe. Sorry? Good music. Ah, interesting, yeah. Experience all those years of service, of dedication, all the things that they've seen. Experience. No, 
To be fair, there wasn't a red flashing arrow saying it's here, so how am I supposed to find it? <laughs> any, any of the younger people want to suggest some of the things that they see in the older people around them that they look up to? We're not continuing until you say something. <laughs> say again? They do Christmas. They do Christmas. Yeah, they know how to do Christmas, the older generation. <laughs> Wisdom. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. We can move on now. That's very good. <laughs> it's, there's so many things that the older generation bring, and younger people can try and emulate to kind of follow in the footsteps of people who've gone there before, and that's really important. But, you know, it, it doesn't always work out that way. Hello, this is John. Um, I'm not in at the moment, but uh, you can leave a message for me. Uh, please leave a message. Yeah, hello, this is John. Could you please leave me a message and I'll get back to you uh, when I get back home. Christmas can seem like just another day. Help Age UK be there all year round. Sad that in Southern society, those who have the most wisdom, most experience, end up sidelined and ignored because of the business of work life and family life and this life and that life. And it shouldn't be that way. And we shouldn't pretend that that can't happen in a church either. So what I would encourage everyone to do is to be forever old and to embrace the experience that's around us, and especially the young people. You're in a very privileged situation in this church to be able to tap into loving experience. So many young people don't have that, so really take the opportunities that you have to share a little bit of the wisdom that's around you. And on that note, you're welcome to leave and go through to your classes. The characters that we're looking at in this our last of our Advent services are Anna and Simeon. And that's why it was quite appropriate for us to think about and celebrate the older generation amongst us um, and the ex- wisdom and experience that they bring. So we're going to read together the story of Anna, Anna and Simeon. Pearlene is going to read from us from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's, the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Waiting's not easy, is it? That was just one minute. What are you thinking? What's on wrong? What's he had? Has he had a seizure? Someone need to step in? Has the Apple Mac broken? Waiting is not easy. Turning this off is not easy. <laughs> there we go. One of the great lessons of Anna and Simeon is patient, patient dedication. Day after day, season after season, year after year. All that time of waiting, and on the face of it, no sign of anything happening, no hope, but still dedication day after day. Imagine what they would have lived through in all that time. We know this, it gives us that detail about Anna specifically, that she, she was been widowed for around 60 years and in that time, day and night, she'd been in the temple praying and fasting. Think of what she'd been for. 60 years takes us back to about 63 BC. And that actually was a very tumultuous time in Israel's history. There was a civil war that had broken out between two uh, religious factions. And they were fighting for control of Judea. So there was a, a religious political war going on very, very similar by parallel to the troubles of Northern Ireland. And it was quite vicious. Rome responded to this, and they sent in Pompey, Pompey the Great. And he led a siege of Jerusalem. And on 63 BC, the Yom Kippur, um, they finally took Jerusalem. Here's an artist's depiction of what happened. The record suggests that 12,000 Jews were killed as part of that siege. Many around the temple courts and inside the temple itself, many of the, the priests working uh, in the temple were killed. 
it's not that much of a stretch to suggest that Anna's husband, a young man at the time, would have been working there. So therefore, it's not that much of a stretch to suggest that he was probably one of those killed in the siege of Jerusalem, led by Pompey. Bereft and grieving, Anna spent the rest of her life, day after day, season after season, year after year, praying and fasting in those temple courts, possibly the, the, the site where her husband had fallen, hoping for salvation. Around 15 years later, 47 BC, a young up-and-coming politician who went by the name of Herod was appointed governor of Galilee. Herod was a wily operator, and he made sure that he was in with the Romans who had overall uh, rule of Judea. Um, a few more years later, 37 BC, and there was a further uprising. And because Herod had built his political power base, the Romans said, we'll back you, Herod. And Herod became Herod the Great, and he led the conquest to reassert Roman control over Judea and his own kind of puppet kingship. To celebrate his power, he went on a massive rebuilding program throughout the nation of Israel, and the jewel in the crown of that was the new and improved temple that he built. Don't be mistaken to think that this was a, a religious epiphany that he'd had. This was all about Herod showing his power, showing his grandeur, and showing how he had won in this political battle. How many times in all those years do you think Anna and Simeon would have felt despondent? What's the point? Seeing all the corruption that was around them, the power battles, the wickedness, watching the wicked prosper all around them, how often would they question, what's this all about? Is there a, is there a God? What's, what is the point of all this? And yet they continued in their dedication. Theirs was not a spectacular service. Probably it would have gone unnoticed by most people in the hostel and bustle and the buying and selling and the, the, the paraphernalia of temple life, especially as they were the older generation, possibly like that man in the video we, we watched at the beginning. Maybe they went unnoticed to everyone except for God, who followed their dedication so closely and revealed to them what his salvation was all about. Because their service has been remembered for posterity, and we've remembered it in reading it just now. And just that small section of text that Perlene read for us shows that they just got it. They had heard God's message, they'd understood it, and they knew um, what to expect. They knew what Messiah was about. They were not shocked by his humble, measly presentation at the church because they appreciated the contrast with the lofty and proud operations of the temple. And they knew that salvation did not lie there, for sure. But in this young couple, living off benefits, as we, we see, bringing this child to try and do the right thing uh, for, their, for their faith. There's one detail in this text which gives an inkling as to the kind of poverty that Mary and Joseph uh, were in. If you look at verse 24 of, of the, the part that we read in Luke chapter 2, it talks about the sacrifice and that Mary and Joseph uh, brought. And it says, They came to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, if you want to, just go back to the text that they were, they were following. It's in Leviticus in chapter 12. 
Leviticus chapter 12, verse 6, it says, When the days of purification for a son or daughter are over, she, the mother, is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and she will be ceremonially clean from from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for a woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she can't afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. So that little detail that Luke records tells us about the background that Mary and Joseph were coming from. The ideal was to bring a lamb and a pigeon. But if you couldn't afford that, if you like the universal credit of its time, you could bring two pigeons instead, and that's what they brought. And so they present this baby Jesus uh, to Simeon. And Simeon says, with the wisdom of years of dedication, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon just got it, didn't he? In that few few words, a few poetic words, he just understood as he gazed down on this baby that this was a gift not just for his own people, not just to get rid of the corruption of the time, but a gift for the whole world. That beautiful phrase, uh, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And Anna, incredible Anna, 84 years old. A year, a life crippled with grief. Spending her days and nights fasting and praying without any seem, seeming gain from it for 60 years. But she, you get the impression she almost bursts with joy at seeing this baby boy the one who she'd waiting for. She just got it. And it's worth us thinking about how do we keep the candle of faith burning day after day, season after season, year after year? How do you, how do, you do it? What, what are the things that you do which help keep your dedication going, even if it appears that, for example, the return of Jesus is, is, is a long way away? The reality is there are lots and lots of different ways but you and I have to be have to think about, consciously think about the practice that we put into place to keep the candle burning. We we keep it burning through meeting together, times like this where we join together as a big family. We keep it burning through prayer, through reading the scriptures, through living our faith out in practical ways, through meditation through letting our faith direct and dictate the decisions that we make in our daily life. All these things are are ways of keeping the candle burning. And in this new year, this year of dedication, it's worth consciously saying to yourself, what am I doing? What are the things that are built into my week that help keep my candle burning? This Christmas is an opportunity to think higher, to feel deeper, and to act in a more wide, wide way. One small per, per, personal reflection. A year ago, I decided to keep a journal, the secret diary of Charles Crawford, age 41 and three quarters. <laughs> um, 
I don't write in it every day, but on average I'd say once or twice a week I do a couple of paragraphs in this journal. Partly it's because I have an I just I just cannot live in the present. I'm always thinking about the future, and I recognise that's a bad thing. So keep your journal was a way of helping me to appreciate the present. But in addition, it's helped me keep a train of thoughts, little ideas that come to me, things I've read, things I've heard. I can make a note of them and then come back to them, and it's almost like a little conversation with myself. You stupid fool. Don't think that's... <laughs> but little nuggets of ideas, um, I, can, I can follow up on it. It's, I've uh, found a real benefit for that. It might be useful for you too. And to take away any obstacles for something useful being adopted into your daily practice... On the side there, I've got a box load of journals, diaries, which are free for you to take. If you think it would be useful for you to start doing that today, just grab one. They're totally free, obviously. Just grab one and start doing it. I found it really useful. Any that are left over, I'll put upstairs in the, in the prayer space up there, and you can take them at a later date. That, that's um, absolutely fine. Anna and Simeon really got it. But what was it that Simeon saw when he looked down on that baby and gazed, day, gazed down at those eyes that were just a few days old. He says, I've seen salvation. God, I've seen your salvation. It's all opened up in front of me for every single person on this planet, not just my tribe, not just my, my lot, but for everybody. This longed-for hope for all people is here and in my arms. What have you seen in your lifetime? If you look around your life, you will find victories for hope. And I think it's important to celebrate and to cherish those, keep our eyes open for them. They are all around. There's a fair few on Friday night, I thought, at Friday Club um, Senior Party. There were lots of little victories for hope and salvation at that party. And dwelling on the triumphs, the small victories helps us to stop getting bogged down in the bogs of disappointment. Yes, there are plenty of those, I know that. But you've got to cling onto the ropes of hope and climb the steps of the ladder's salvation. Hope may take time to come to fruition. 60 years, uh, day and night, day and night, day and night. But come to fruition, it will. If you believe in hope, you have to cherish it. If you believe in salvation, you have to nurture it and look for it. I was listening to a, a lawyer talking. He's a lawyer from Alabama. And he'd written a book about mercy. And he was telling the story of how one day he was going to a courthouse where there was a new client that he was going to represent. And he went in, and just outside the courthouse, there was a pickup truck. And it had a sticker of the Confederate flag on it. Now, just to fill you the background, the Confederate flag, flag goes back to the U.S. Civil War many years ago, but now it's used by people who want to advertise their racism. Loud and proud, I am racist. It's like a, a swastika these days is someone who wants to advertise their fascism and their, their right wing. And this pickup truck had this Confederate flag on it and it had a vile caption on it, which I'm not going to repeat. So this lawyer who's African-American walks in and says, I'm here for a legal visit. The guard says, no, you're not. You're not a lawyer. And sends him to, back to his car to get any ID to prove that he's a lawyer. He comes back in and says, I'm a lawyer. I've come to, to represent this, this person. He says, 
Okay, then it's time for your strip search. Strip search. Takes him to the courtroom, 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 bathroom, strips him off and strip searches this lawyer. Give him all the humiliation that he could give him. He says, now you've got to sign in. I now have to sign in to sign in. This guard was vehement. And as he was walking over to the place where he was due to sign in, uh, the guard says, you see that pickup out there? It's mine, that is. Loud and proud he was, he was of his racism. So this lawyer takes it all on the chin, gets on with it, and goes to meet his client. His client's another young kid, African-American, who can't follow the, the questions that the lawyer's asking. He just keeps asking for a milkshake. He just wants a milkshake. This kid, it turned out, had been in foster care, 29 foster homes by the age of 10. Schizophrenic and bipolar, addicted to crack cocaine by the age of 13, during the midst of a psychotic episode, he'd carried out a brutal crime and was given the death penalty. That had been signed and sealed, and this lawyer was trying to represent him to try and get some leniency, some understanding of what this kid had been through. So day after day, this lawyer comes, and for three days, he tells the court the story of this kid and says, tries to let the court feel some of the things that this kid had felt and just show a little bit of leniency. On the fourth day... And each, each day, this guard is the one who actually brings this kid in for his trial. On the fourth day, the guard is on the steps waiting for the lawyer. He says, Mr. Stevenson, don't go and sign in. I, I've signed you in already. Mr. Stevenson, the lawyer said, oh, OK, fine. Do we need to go to the bathroom now for the strip search? So, oh, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not doing that anymore. As he goes to unlock the door, the gatehouse, the courthouse, he notices his hands are shaking like this. He can't get the key in the door. And he turns, his, his face is entirely red. And he says to the lawyer, I just want you to know that I think what you're doing is great. Your fight for justice, I think it's amazing. I just want you to keep going, doing what you're doing. Otherwise, come again, what? He says, I was brought up in foster care too, and I thought I had it the worst of everyone. But when I've heard this story of this kid, just keep doing what you're doing. Just, just keep on doing it. And one more thing. I called in the drive-thru on the way, and I've got a milkshake for him. That's hope. Year after year after year. If you believe in hope, you've got to cling to it. If you believe in salvation, you've got to cling to it. Because it's so precious. It's so powerful. There are echoes of what Simeon says back in Isaiah chapter 52. You might want to turn to that. Isaiah chapter 52, it's a, it's a fantastic passage. Starting at verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Simeon gazed down on that baby. He saw it with his own eyes. They'll burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. And the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. The hope will come to fruition the salvation will arrive. You've just got to have faith and you've got to keep going. 
course, the thing with Isaiah chapter 52 is that it's followed by Isaiah chapter 53. And the, the salvation, the hope, and the joy that's seen in this servant of the Lord turns to suffering, it turns to pain, and it turns to sacrifice. And Simeon saw all of that too. He says back in verse 33 of Luke 2, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. In those few prophetic words, Simeon showed that he understood the ministry of Jesus and also the sacrifice of Jesus. He pictured Mary at the foot of the cross, her soul pierced by watching what she saw. Simeon pictured how Jesus would be a building block for anybody who would trust in him and build their lives on him, but a stumbling block for anyone who could not take the exposure that he would bring. His words make us see ourselves how we are, naked, without any pretense, no hiding, no games, no masks, everything stripped away. And that has its consequences. Those who have malicious motives prefer the darkness. They prefer to act in the shadows. They prefer to act undercover. And so they try to extinguish the light of Jesus forever. They try to get rid of it, to eliminate it, to take the hope out of the hearts of Anna and Simeon and ordinary people like them and quash it, take it away. But they could not seal this salvation in a tomb. They could not keep it buried because hope, however long it takes, turns to victory and to salvation and to joy and to resurrection. It could not be kept in. As Simeon gazed down on that baby just a few days old, gazed into its eyes, he knew the pain that was in store, but I think he probably was thinking something like this. Isn't he beautiful? Prince of Peace, Son of God, isn't he beautiful? We're going to sing these words together as we um, prepare to take bread and wine. <laughs>